Good morning again. Lots of smiles out there. It's summer. Isn't this great? I'm thankful for an air conditioner that works very well in here. I'm fully aware that some of you freeze in here, and I am really, really sorry. It's the way it's designed. If you sit up close to the front, you freeze. If you sit in the back, you're scorching back there, aren't you? They're hot, but by the grace of God, we will survive, right? There are a lot of open seats up front. Okay, so if, you are, if you're hot, you're welcome to move forward. It's good to see everybody today. L- looking forward to uh, walking through this passage, uh, encouraged by it, also challenged by it. Uh, saw some really neat things this week as I got to study and observe this passage. Very thankful for my uh, the calling that I have, that I get to study the Bible during the week, all week, and enjoy the Word of God. What an amazing passage. Can't wait to go through it with you. We're at a turning point in Jesus' ministry. He has revealed himself to the nation. Now the rejection has begun, and it will continue to grow as the cross grows Closer and closer. The Messiah has been presented to Israel in word and deed. We will see also uh, the Messiah has been rejected by the majority of Israel. Uh, Most of the people have seen miracles. They've heard him preach with authority and yet they are rejecting him. In fact, the Messiah has been blasphemed by the leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, the leaders, uh, uh, the people. As a whole, they said that what he was doing was by the power of Beelzebul, remember? And they had blasphemed the Spirit and him. And then the Messiah has proclaimed a coming judgment. That's what we saw in 11 and 12, the judgment to come because the people of Israel had rejected their Messiah. Today he begins to use parables. Parables. What is a parable? Uh, the parable, uh, a parable, the Greek word is actually a, a compound word meaning to place alongside of. To place alongside of. Thus, they were stories that were placed alongside spiritual truth for the purpose of comparison or illustration or illumination, so that they could understand better, the disciples. It was a short story that was used to explain a spiritual truth. Usually, the parables had one main idea they were presenting. So when you're studying the parables, uh, we need to look for that one main idea that it is trying to get across. Over the years, many have taken the parables of the Bible and turned the stories into more than what the original intent was. They have become allegorical stories with all kinds of extra hidden meanings in them. So people stretch the parables to mean more than what Jesus meant initially. But I I don't want us to do that. I want to be faithful to the text. I want to find out what that text says and what's the main point he's doing. 
Sometimes, y'all know this, in Bible study, we can have this idea that I think we've got to find all those hidden meanings. And before we know it, we're stretching the text to say something that it doesn't really say. We need to stay with the general rule that a parable was given to make one main point. For example, someone told me this week of how a pastor told them that this parable was teaches us that we should go and change the other soils so that we can spread the word to them and they can get right with God. In other words, take the road and take a plow to it or take the rocks out of it and help them know what the word of God is so that they will then be changed. I don't think he wanted us to take the parable and do that with it. I think the parable has a main intended meaning. The best principle to remember is look for the main idea. The main idea that he was trying to get across. Try to identify the main characters of each of the parables, or inside the parable. Who is being compared to what in the story? Who's the sower? And who are the, what are the soils? What are the soils being compared to? We will look at why Jesus spoke in parables in a little bit, and it's very interesting the location of it. So there are some things in this that are really interesting. And we're going to see it as it unfolds. The outline of the present parable is this. They, it, 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 falls, it falls into the proclamation of the parable is in verses 1 to 9. Then the purpose of the parable is in verses 10 to 17. And then the explanation of the parable is in 18 to 23. I would suggest many would say the main idea of the parable of the soils is something like this. The word of God is received in different ways by various peoples. Only those who are genuine believers receive the word and produce fruit. So that, that does give a good kind of summary of what the parable is all about. But I would suggest a little different take on the parable, and, and we'll see it as we unfold it. And also, I think the title itself that people have used for this parable is wrong. What is the parable's title? What is the title of this parable? Anybody? Parable of the Soils, right? Parable of the Soils. Did you notice in my title page it had a bunch of question marks behind it? Uh, it's because I don't think that's the title, and that should be the title of the parable. It's not the parable of the soils. You say, really? It shouldn't be? No. Why don't we give it the title that Jesus gives it? You say, what title did he give it? Well, look down at verse 18. Verse 18. Jesus gives us the title. Here, then, the parable of the sower. Whoa! Oh! The parable is really the parable of the sower, not the parable of the soils. Hmm. With that comes a very, very interesting observation. And we begin to see that the meaning behind the parable and the main idea behind the parable is more about the sower... Then it is the soils. Whoa, stop that. You told me it was all about the soils. I've heard it only about the soils. Well, Jesus titled it the parable of the sower. Hmm. So let's look. I think the main idea of the parable of the sower is this. The sovereign sower is producing abundant fruit in his own through the word of God. However, in those who are not the sower's own, the word is rejected. It produces no fruit, 
and it ultimately reveals their judgment. That would be the summary, I think, of the parable of the sower. Interesting, isn't it? It's about the sovereign. It's about the sovereign over the sower, the, over the soils. The Lord spreads His word, and it's received, and it produces fruit in His own. But His word is rejected by the rest, and His word reveals, ultimately, their judgment. He will see, we will see the parables themselves are the seed of the sower. Now, this is really going to be interesting, but I want you to notice that the parable itself is part of the seed to the soils, to the people. We'll talk about that as we go along. Let's see how this main idea is revealed in the parable. First, let's start with the proclamation of the parable. The proclamation of the parable. Look again at verses 1 and 9. That day... Jesus went out of the house. What house? The house that he was in before where he was talking and he was showing that there was a judgment to come and showing the different relationships, right? There was those that were with him and those who are against him. Out of that house where he talked and where he had done that miracle, he walks out of that house, he went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down. I feel like I'm kind of in that boat today, right? And the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil yielded and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. No, it's not ears of corn. Take note of two key verbs in the first two verses. Two key verbs in the first two verses. Notice it helps to identify who is the main character in the parable. Notice the very first verse. That day Jesus did what? Went out. He went out of the house, right? And he spoke many things to them. But then notice, at the beginning of the parable, it says, Behold, the sower went out to sow. Guess what? That's the same verb. It's, why did that happen? Well, it's probably because Matthew's, it's Matthew's way of signaling something. What's he signaling? Who is the sower? Jesus. What was Jesus doing when he went out of the house? He was sowing. You say, what? I thought he was fishing. He was in a boat. Well, if you mix up all your metaphors, yep, that's what happened. You know, it's funny. I preached this passage in Luke back, oh, it's been eight years ago. The same parable. And I did the worst thing you could possibly do as a preacher. This is, this is just for free. 
just adding this out here. I made the whole thing about shepherding sheep when it was about a parable of sowing seed. What did I do? I made it harder for the people to understand. Oh, when I do that, please forgive me. Okay, I'm trying to sometimes make these great sermons so that you understand things and I make it more confusing than it really was. We all make mistakes. Praise the Lord, He works despite us, right? So here today, I want to tell you about the sower. Who is the sower? It's Jesus. It's all about Him. It's not a complex parable, actually. I want you to notice something else very intriguing about how Matthew laid out this scene. The parable is given in 1 to 9, isn't it? In verses 1 to 9. But then there's a break to explain the purpose of speaking the parables in verses 10 to 17. Then Jesus explains the parables to his disciples in verses 18 to 23. Then notice in verse 24 what happens. Another parable. Okay, so now if you were watching this and this unfolded, did it go in chronological order? Did Matthew record it in chronological order? No, he did not. He did not. Because I want you to think for a second of how this would have unfolded if it was in chronological order. One, he would have got in the boat, started giving that one parable, and then what? Pulled the boat back over to the side, walked away, talked to his disciples a little bit, told them what it was, then got back in the boat and did what? Went back out and told some more parables. That's not what happened. Matthew is telling it out of chronological order. Why? Very interesting. Most likely, he tells his parable 1 to 9, that area, in the boat, talking to the people, and then back to 24, he's still in the boat talking about parables. Giving these parables. One story after the next with no what? Explanation. No explanation. Jesus didn't get into the boat and move out into the water, speak one parable. It says he spoke many things to them in parables from the boat. Interesting, isn't it? Obviously, 10 to 23 happened later when Jesus returned to the shore. I believe the purpose of the parables is part of the meaning of the parable of the sower. You're going to see this as we go along. Very interesting as we dig in. But let's look more at the parable itself first. Notice there are four different types of land places for seed. Four different places that the, the, that the seed landed. If we read this with our farms in view, we're going to really fail to grasp what the meaning of the parable was. We're not going to understand it. Now, the people, however, that were hearing it would have understood the events perfectly. They would have got it. Today, however, because our understanding of farming and our agriculture, we're going to probably miss some very crucial details to this. We don't know it. Today, we have a hard time reading parables like this, agricultural parables and all these things, unless we understand the context of the original parable. And we often, when we read through a parable like this, what do we automatically do? We remember what? What the explanation is. Whatever explanation we had read previously, we automatically put it into it. So we don't read with observation. We just skip to interpretation right away. We don't stop and think through it. I think we need to stop and think through it for a second. Let me give you an example. So when you're driving down a road, a back road in Plant City... 
around January, February, what do you see? Strawberry fields, right? Lots and lots of strawberry fields. And they look somewhat like this. We see amazing straight lines, beautiful straight lines, right? Rows that are distinct and exactly spaced apart. The border of the strawberry fields, have you ever noticed there's there's onions sometimes around the strawberry fields or flowers and various things that are planted around the strawberry fields? My research said that it was probably to help keep diseases away from the plants or repel slugs, is what they said, which can eat the strawberries before they're picked and harm the plants. Also around the fields are numerous sand roads. What are those for? Well, those are the cars that go through, and they're also where we park when we do our U-pick, right? And the road we pull off of is what? Asphalt. If you drop some seed on that asphalt, it would be what? It'd immediately be crushed and thrown from the road. So, again, we've got to be careful of putting our thought process into a passage to understand what it says. When most of us think of farming, this is an image that comes to mind, right? Now, as we read our passage, if we think of this, we're going to misunderstand the passage altogether. Because their fields, theirs, that is Jesus, and their sowing was very different than ours. The terrain was rocky. And the paths and the places where roads went are not always a beautiful straight line. So as seed was cast, as the sower would cast it, it would land in all those various places. It looked more like this. This is a picture of a land or a, a field in that area. You see the rocks, you see the kind of the path and how it kind of winds through there. And they're out there throwing seed. Some would land on rocks, some would land on the road, some would land in the weeds. So as the seed was cast, it would often land in various areas. Here's a picture, as you can see, and you can get the idea. Now, doesn't it change the way you read it? Thinking on this a little bit, it helps you to get an idea of why there would even be any on the road. Because here in Plant City, I'm fairly sure they don't go throwing seeds on the road. Or even in the pathway, right? They're very specific where it goes. So we get this idea, the farmer throwing seed out and it landing in various areas. With the places where the soil was free of rocks and weeds, there was reward for his labor. It wasn't that the sower was not a good aim. It was a different terrain. And the different soils were closely connected. And each of the different soils played a huge part in whether it produced fruit. Now go back to what I said about the went out. The went out. Remember, he went out of the house. Where did he get? He got in a boat. Why did he get in a boat? Because it was a crowd. Why was there a crowd? Because they all wanted to hear, supposedly. And so what did he do? He cast seed to all of them. All of them that were there out in the boat. He was presenting the word. The proclamation of the parable is seen very clearly in 1 to 9. Now, a question for you to consider is, if you were in the crowd, I want you to think through that proclamation, through that parable, think through what it was said, what would you take away? 
if you didn't have the explanation, and you're sitting there, or you're standing there on the shore, and you're listening, a man went out to sow. He sowed his field. Some fell in these various spots. What would you be thinking when you heard it? I don't know about you, but these are some of the thoughts I thought of that maybe they would have thought. Yep, this guy, Jesus, he's really good at explaining agricultural conditions. Yep, when I'm tossing my seed, I wish it always landed on good soil. Yep, this guy really gets it. He gets agriculture. But why is he telling us about agriculture? But there's also one little detail in this parable that's very strange. Very strange. If you don't see it and you don't know the context, you won't see it. Guess what it is? It's right there at the end. It says, the last soil, the good soil, produces some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. You say, well, what's the big deal? That, that happens, doesn't it? Oh, no, not back then. Not in their conditions. It was most of the time eight times. Through my research, I found eight times was a great crop. Eight times what they had put out comes in. Not a hundredfold. Not 60 or 30, much less. Why would he say that? It should have caused them to think, why? What is he talking about? It was just a little hint, but it was there. Something's different about this story. He's trying to get at something else. Why is he telling them in parables? Why is he talking to us in parables? It appears to be a parable. It appears to be something that he's referring to something else, but it's not really about agriculture. But he doesn't give the explanation to the people. He just throws it out there. This is a little hint of grace. Just a little bit of grace that he was giving to them. What's the grace in it? You say, where's some grace there? That's no grace. That intrigue should have caused them to do what? Help! I don't understand. Help me! I need help. Tell me what you're talking about. Why are you talking in parables? But isn't that what the disciples do? They asked that question. Why? Because they had ears to hear and eyes to see. God had worked in their hearts. Isn't this interesting? Some probably thought, okay, how does this get this kind of return on the seed? This enormous crop, this guy has lost his mind. Others thought, well, man, he's talking some really neat stories. There's got to be something else here, but you know what? I think I like it, but no, it's not that big of a deal. And Before you know it, the ones that are out on the shore become the illustration of what? The very parable. They become it. Like maybe a guy gets healed from something. And they excited about that great thing initially. But then he's nowhere to be found in the end. Or maybe real trials come, John 6. And what happens? When he tells them some really hard things 
and he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, what do they say? Uh-uh, too hard for me, I'm out of here. Before you know it, the very crowd that he was talking to is the illustration. And who is the sower? He is. Isn't this neat? Can you see why I was like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> this is really neat how this works. God's word is good, isn't it? But then we move on to the next part. Notice in 10 to 23. Let me ask you a question. If you had never heard the explanation, would you know what Jesus was comparing to in the story? I mean, you've got to be honest. You wouldn't know it, would you? If you did not have the explanation, you would not know it. We get it. But the only reason we get it is because the explanation is given. We have read the explanation. That's why you get it. But do you really get it? What? Do you really get it? I think we need to continue reading to see if we really understand this parable. First, notice the disciples ask their question. Why do you speak to them in parables? This brings us to the purpose of the parables. The purpose of the parables. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Again, came to him probably implies that this was after he was on the boat. It, they didn't roll out into the boat and get another boat and do this. This wasn't while it was happening. It was later, most likely. Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. He he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which it says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. But for the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear hear with their ears, and understand what their hearts and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it. (coughs) And to hear what you hear, hear, and did not hear it. Wow, what a neat explanation, right? Why? Why do you talk in parables? Jesus used parables with two primary purposes in mind, as we'll see. And I would argue that this text emphasizes one aspect over the other. What are the two primary purposes Jesus uses parables? One, to reveal, to reveal, to illumine, to illustrate, reveal. Second, to conceal, to conceal. Which one do you think he's using most here? To conceal. To conceal. He used parables to conceal. Wait a second. That's not fair. 
Can you imagine if a pastor got up here and spoke a sermon and my whole purpose was to keep you from knowing what I was saying? I think I would clear out the congregation pretty quickly, wouldn't I? My purpose today is to speak to you so you can't understand. Matter of fact, I only want five of you in the room to know. Only five of you. I'm speaking to do five, all the rest of you. Nope! You don't get to know. Can you imagine the outrage? I'm fairly sure I'd be what? I'd be voted out by the elder board next week. Why did he do this? Why did he do this? They were used to reveal truth to his disciples, but they were also used to conceal truth from the vast majority of the crowd. Parables are both judgment and blessing. Judgment and blessing. Let's look. To you, notice it states, to the disciples, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been granted. Wow, do you? I wish you could see just how dramatic the language is here. It could literally be translated, it has been granted in the past and it has an ongoing result in your life forever. To know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But for them, it has been determined that they will not hear. And the result will be ongoing. That they will go into judgment forever. Wow! This is sovereignty of God over and over and over. Who is sovereign? The sower. Wow! Right? God has sovereignly granted the disciples the privilege of having ears to hear. The disciples were graciously ordained to know before the foundation of the world, to know the hidden secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They knew who Jesus was. Remember, Jesus asked them, right? And says in a little while, he's going to say, who do people say that I am? And they're all off. But who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow, isn't this amazing? They got the parables. And really, they didn't get the parables until he did what? Explain the parables. Why did they get the explanation? Why did they get this sovereignly chosen to hear and know, but the others didn't? That's the question, isn't it? When we read this, we're like, well, why? Why them? Notice what Jesus didn't say. Well, you get to hear because you were mistreated. You get to hear because you're kinder than they are. You get to hear and know because you are more receptive to the truth. You have better hearts. 
You are better people. He didn't say any of that, did he? None of this. None of that. Nope, instead, guess what he says? Look at this. I saw this and I was like, wow, this is shocking. It jumps off the page. Look at what he says. For, because, whoever has, to him more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Are you following? Is this not shocking? I can hear the screams of our society right now. Oh, that's not fair. The rich get richer? And the poor get poorer. And this is what the sower has determined. Those that have lots will get abundantly more, and those who have nothing will have even what they have taken from them. Oh boy. Pastor Mike, you have set up a gigantic bomb in this place. Why do good things happen to bad people? Hmm. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's a, it's a total different worldview, isn't it? His thought process is opposite of the way we think. Totally opposite. The way we think is we think everybody deserves what? Equal. The Bible says the exact opposite. Everybody deserves equal hell, but for some unknown gracious reason, God and His sovereignty decides to save some of us wretched, miserable, wicked souls. Why? The question should be, all of us in the room should be saying, why do I understand this? Why did you open my eyes to see this truth? Why do I know the God of the Bible? Why am I saved? I don't deserve it. Why do I have ears to hear? Why do I see? However, instead of answering the question why the disciples got to know and the others did not get to know, Jesus takes it one step further. He says, the one that has a lot, they'll get even more. The one that has little, they won't get anything. It'll get taken away from them, even what they have. <laughs> so as amazing as this sounds, the disciples wanted more of Jesus, and what did they get? More of Jesus. They wanted him. They wanted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Their main goal was what? To know the kingdom. 
They wanted to know the king. And what did the king do? Here you go. More. More. Let me show you more. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's good news for everybody in the room. If you love Jesus, guess what? You want more? He's going to do what? He's going to show you more. We prayed. We sang in that song. Show us Christ. Are you seeing more of Christ? What a good God. Isn't He good? Is it because we're better? No. This should humble us. See, the, desi- the multitude, rather, the crowds, desired a Messiah that fed their fleshly lusts. They didn't want a Jesus. They didn't want a Messiah that would suffer. They, want a, they didn't want a Messiah that would die on a cross and shame the whole people. That you would kill your own Messiah. They didn't want that. But they wanted a sign, remember? They wanted a sign. By the way, if you make this all about what you get here and you'll get more riches here, you've missed the whole point of the sermon, haven't you? You've missed the whole point of his explanation. What you have here, you don't want this, do you? If you're a follower of Jesus, this is not my home and all that I have here, he can take that tomorrow and I'll be just fine with it. I just want more of Christ. I just want more of Him. Take it all. I don't care. Christ is who I want. The good news is, I'm going to get that prayer answered. Because God is a gracious and kind God. And He gives grace to this wretched sinner. What a good God. They wanted a Messiah, however, that was made in their image. And so what did the Messiah give them? Parables. Parables. Instead of a clear revelation of who Jesus is and what was the kingdom to come, they got parables. Why? Why? Answer? Because ultimately God is sovereign. They deserve judgment and He gave it to them. Why? Because they're sinners that hate God. He gave divine judgment. Oh, well, that's Mike. Pastor Mike, you got to quit this kind of stuff. Don't talk about this in service. Can you imagine? This, is this anything like anything you would hear from the seeker-sensitive churches? It's the exact opposite. The Jews of Jesus' day as a whole, all but a small remnant, were under the condemnation of God that God had prophesied in Isaiah chapter 6. 
I wanted to get through this. I wanted to get through the whole thing, but you can see it's never going to happen, right? Are you getting, are you understanding though? The Jews of Jesus' day as a whole were under the condemnation judgment of God and they were overwhelming, they were overwhelming proof. They had overwhelming proof that Jesus was who he said he was. It was overwhelming. Yet they rejected him. They were willfully refusing to repent and believe in Jesus. And notice the prophecy points out to their willful rejection. It says their hearts have become dull. They had, they were uninterested in the truth. And with their ears, they scarcely used them to hear. It wasn't that they couldn't hear. They had what some of our spouses have accused us of, selective hearing. They have closed their eyes. What does that mean? Their eyes worked, but they did what? I don't see. Come on, give me a sign. (laughs) Do you see how foolish that is? But that is the heart of man. They had Jesus, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He was the king. You understand this. He was the king of Isaiah 6. You know, when we were reading that passage, Mark was reading it. In the year in which King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Guess who that was? That was Jesus. That was Jesus. What? No, that wasn't Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. This same section of scripture is quoted in John chapter 12. And alluded to in Isaiah 6. In John chapter 12, verse 39. Jesus alludes to the same, or John rather, alludes to the same passage. And how it's the fulfillment. (coughs) Notice in verse 39 it says, For this reason they could not believe. For as Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their hearts and become converted and I healed them. These things Isaiah said, wait, look, because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Who's the, saw his glory and spoke of him. Guess what? That's Jesus. They couldn't understand and believe in who Jesus was and who he was just as it was prophesied in Isaiah 6 that they wouldn't. They would be under the judgment and though they saw his glory. Remember Isaiah 6, 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Who did Isaiah see? I see he saw Jesus on the throne. And who were these people seeing? They were seeing Jesus. They were seeing the king. But God had handed them over in judgment. At this point, If you become anti-Semitic, you're against Jewish people, 
you have missed the whole point. Because what you should see at this point is that is you apart from the grace of God. Do you understand? That is us. That is us. That is us. Why aren't we in hell right now? That should be the question we should be asking. Why are we alive? Why are we breathing? Why do I know the glory of Christ Jesus? Amazing grace. Amazing, unfathomable love. I'm loved by the King despite being deserving of all of his wrath. Notice Jesus says it, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Talking to the disciples, they got it. They saw it. They saw the glory of Christ, the prophesied one. They got it. And he says, blessed are you. What's that mean? Favored by God are you. Why are you favored? Why are they favored? Because they get to know Christ. Oh, beloved, listen to me. And that does apply to us who believe. Is there anything better than knowing Christ? No. Are we not also favored by God that we get to know Him? Do we get to enjoy Him? And what is the result of that? Huge overflowing glory to God and fruit. Do you understand what I've just done for the last 45 minutes to an hour? This roasted in hell sinner. The guy that deserves to be in hell. I just worship Jesus Christ for a solid hour. Praise God. He is good. Abundant fruits flowing. And if you know him, you will go out and you will share him too. Because there's no one better than him. There is nothing in this world that compares to him. He is worthy of all worship and praise and honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you. We we worship you. You are good. You are kind. You sent Jesus into the world to die for sinners like us. We praise you. We thank you. We ask for help. Ask us to see more of Christ's glory. And then go and proclaim these glories to others. Open eyes. Open ears. Give us hearts that believe. We believe, help our unbelief. 
And for those that are in here that don't know you, the scales are on their eyes. Lord God, we beg you, the sovereign sower, please God, change hearts. Help them see that you are the only one worthy of all allegiance and honor and dominion and power and glory. Please, God, work in these people to see that Jesus Christ is Lord. And bow the knee to Him and serve Him. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.